Okay, let's do this. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. I am here today by myself, by the way, because not every episode is going to be an interview. I love interviews. I love bringing other people's perspective to the table and discussing things. But some of these episodes are going to be also just me breaking down some data, some statistics, or giving you facts in an audio version, just like I would do on my posts on Facebook or Instagram. So today is one of my, I should say, favorite topics to discuss, perhaps. Um, But not for the reasons you would think, not because it's a good thing, but because I find it very laughable. So what I want to talk about today is virtue signaling. Virtue signaling, otherwise known as performative allyship. Okay, these are some big phrases and new to a lot of people, but these are terms that existed before George Floyd, before COVID. These are terms that have been around for a while. In fact, I'm starting to wonder if perhaps they were created like just before four years ago when a lot of social justice extremists kind of came through social media and had a brand new language that everybody needed to know and were attacking people with all this terminology. Things like tone policing, stay in your lane, white privilege, white fragility, and other terms. In fact, every time I see somebody start to use one of those terms, I'm instantly triggered. I'm not going to lie. Because four years ago, I saw all this happen online in a particular online baby wearing community, where a bunch of people just came through and literally just decimated it, took over. Everything was cultural appropriation. Everything was ableist. Everything was racist. All the white people needed to be quiet. And that term POC started being used all the time. But again, we were seeing a lot of white people that were speaking for POC as if they had to, which to me in itself is very patronizing. But anyway, that's kind of another story, I guess. But the terminology, it's almost like a language gets created when there is an, how can I say, an, an orchestrated social media attack. There's an entire language, a bunch of new terms. You've got to learn them and everybody needs to start using them again. So it was the same thing that happened when COVID came around because what were all of our new terms? Social distancing. Children were vectors of disease. These are some of the terms. Social distancing was not a term anybody had used. And it was doing your part, meet this moment, you know, all these slogans and phrases. And I notice when that happens is usually when somebody wants to get people to do something and they want to get somebody to do something that doesn't maybe want to do it voluntarily. So then they use all these slogans like trying to make it seem like this is how, you know, staying, stay home, save lives. You know, you're doing your part. All these things try to give you this sense of accomplishment because deep down you're actually angry that you're in this situation in the first place. 
But then they kind of flip it on you so that you feel like, oh, it's okay. I'm staying home and losing my savings. It's fine. I'm doing my part. And of course, this is not the first time we've heard this. In the vaccine debate, there are all sorts of these slogans, all sorts of these little sound bites, safe and effective. Vaccines don't cause autism. That study was debunked. All of these things that we hear are repetitive and they're by design. So when COVID came around, I saw all the new terminology. Then when the George Floyd incident happened, I started seeing a resurgence of the same social justice terms that came four years prior with a couple new ones. I noticed one new one, uh, anti-racism. So it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racism, which is a new term that came around this year. So again, whenever we're in discussions with people and somebody hops on a comment and starts throwing terms around, just like anything else, it's like I totally already know these are somebody's talking points. They're not individual thoughts because it would be statistically impossible for all of these individuals to come up with the same term. So you know a lot of these people are getting the terms from their news sources or from whatever social media that they're reading. They're bullet points, talking points. And it just goes to show you how impressionable people are. It's actually kind of scary to me. It's definitely kind of scary. So one of the new terms that I got to know during COVID that ended up carrying over to the George Floyd incident was virtue signaling. And I looked it up. I remember when I first found out about it, I looked it up. And the reason I was interested in this was this is during COVID. It was all about people wearing masks and how wearing a mask was essentially a sign that you're a good person. I would see people having their mask hanging down from their rear view mirror. And it was almost like if you pulled up to a stoplight and you looked over at the person next to you and you saw that mask hanging down, it's like you could almost thumbs up the person and be like, you know what? Thanks for making a difference. I'm one of you too. See my mask hanging? Yeah, cool, right? It's a weird kind of look at this. This is an example of my moral character. This gives me a pedestal over other people who don't do this because they're irresponsible and selfish, but I'm not because look at my mask. It doesn't matter that masks don't work to prevent transmission of a virus. Somehow that's inconsequential. It's even later, Fauci says, it's a symbol, a symbol of doing things together, of being there for your neighbor, etc. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if it doesn't work, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do something just for symbolism. There's absolutely no way. I've heard people say, it doesn't matter that it doesn't work. Why not just wear it if it makes somebody else feel better? I'm like, that's illogical. So no, I'm sorry, but you cannot sign me up for that. I will not just do it because somebody tells me to do it. There has to be function. There has to be a practical reason behind anything I do. And that goes for anything, especially something that is by itself responsible for a series of you know, poor health outcomes and potential risk, which mask usage for a long extended time is. 
But even if it wasn't, I mean, still, I'm still not going to do something just because you tell me to do it, especially if I find data that shows me it doesn't work. It doesn't get the job done. If it doesn't get the job done, why am I doing it? Doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it just for symbolism, right? So this idea of virtue signaling, I'm going to give you some information on this. The big key to virtue signaling, what makes something virtue signaling versus something else, is that essentially it is to promote yourself. Whatever the cause is, you are doing something, taking a certain action step to look good amongst your peers. Okay, we also saw this after the George Floyd incident with Blackout Tuesday on Instagram. Everybody was changing their squares to black or, or most everybody because people li- literally felt like if they didn't, they would be considered racist or that they didn't care about black people or where they were not fighting for racial equality, which of course is absurd because regardless of what you do on your social media for one day, that does not signify the level of your investment in important social issues. But when I saw everybody switching their Instagram profiles to black for a day, remember, for a day, I thought to myself, what is this going to do? What is it going to actually do? How can it create any solution for the problems that are underlying here that are causing the issues? And of course, the answer to that is nothing. It can do absolutely nothing. Changing your profile or posting a black square for a day does nothing. Does it let everybody know that you're aware of what's going on and you want to be somebody who cares about it? Maybe, but then we're just doing something so people acknowledge us. Then we're just doing something because people are watching. And that's something to be wary of. I was very critical of people doing what I call trend activism. It's trendy. It's fashionable. It's cool. So I'm going to do it. You think people would have changed their Instagrams to black squares if they knew nobody was watching, nobody on their friends list was paying attention? No. That was the whole reason to do it. Whether you know it or not, I should say that. Some people, I think, really thought genuinely they wanted to represent unity with what's going on. But unfortunately, it's empty. And it's what's what some people call slacktivism. It's a symbol. It's a gesture that doesn't have anything behind it. And my big problem with trend activism, besides the fact that I feel it's empty, because you're really doing it to be noticed, again, whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, part of the reason you post about it is so people notice it. And this could go for lots of things. It could be like, you're going to go down to the homeless shelter and you're going to offer to prepare meals or help or whatever, but you post about it on social media and the reason for your trip was actually for the social media post. It's not like you go down to the homeless shelter on your own, never posting about it, never talking about it, and just doing it out of the goodness of your heart. And my issue as it related to the George Floyd situation was where was this concern for racial equality the week before Blackout Tuesday, the week, the month before, the year before? When you care about issues, you don't just care about them when everybody says it's time to care about them. And to me, that's a sign of inauthenticity. 
So one thing I saw was a particular article that I posted about. And this woman said, I am uncomfortable. This is her quote, uncomfortable with engaging in what feels like temporary and hollow performative allyship on social media. So this was her response to everybody saying you need to post a black square on Blackout Tuesday. She says she was suge- she was actually reaching out saying, I really want to make a difference. She was uh, speaking with a therapist that I follow. She said, I really want to make a difference, but I'm uncomfortable with engaging in what feels like temporary and hollow performative allyship on social media. And I agree too. I am also uncomfortable with that, which is what I said. And then we see these photos of the Democratic leaders taking a knee. They're taking a knee while wearing kente cloth. These are white, wealthy politicians that all of a sudden care so much about racial inequality. And you know how you know this? Because you saw them take a knee. That was a perfect example of virtue signaling. Let me signal to you how virtuous I am because clearly I care about black people. I care about communities of color. I care about racial inequality. You might never have heard me speak about it in the months or years prior, but because I'm bending down right now, that should tell you all I need to know. But obviously, is it possible? So I had some people go, well, you know what? Actually, (laughs) I had a lot of people that were unhappy with me during my posts on this. And if you're listening to this, you're probably one of the ones that wasn't unhappy with me and you stuck with me and I appreciate you because I do offer sometimes controversial ideas because I'm curious about the discussion and because I want to keep everything open to consideration. Not because I agree with every single word of a video that I share or every single word from a post somebody wrote, but I'm okay with having the uncomfortable discussion. There were several people that weren't though. And Part of the criticism was, well, Melissa, even if these people are just doing it because it's trendy or it's happening right now or they feel pressured to do it, even if, isn't it still good that there is, they've had a shift in awareness or isn't it still good that something's being done? And you know what? Honestly, I would argue no. <laughs> I would argue no. Because I would argue that inauthentic action is the same as inaction or the lack of action. Because part of what makes action important is if it's inspired and it's honest and you are truly motivated to make a difference in some area. But in order to do that, you need to actually be invested in it. So we saw also Mayor Garcetti of Los Angeles, who, by the way, okay, if you don't live in LA, especially near downtown, and you've been there anytime soon, oh my gosh, I mean, the streets are literally covered with homeless people. And I used to live in LA for many years. It is so much worse now. Of course, this is not all of LA. LA is a huge county, 10 million people. But there are literally homeless people shooting up drugs on the streets, Okay, and a lot of those people are going to be people of color, and this is going to affect low income communities. Okay, so just keep that in mind. So, Mayor Garcetti took the most 
strict and what many would say draconian measures during this COVID lockdown because L.A. County had the highest number of cases. Granted, L.A. County is the biggest county in California. Again, it encompasses 10 million people. That's a lot. So you would expect with all the different cultures that live there, all the different international travel that you see, for there to be a high number of cases. That's not shocking. Knowing that you'd have more cases, and if you have a lot of nursing homes in that area, then there are going to be some deaths too. It would make sense that LA was a place to watch. But for some reason, their public health officer was just, to me, way over the top. Um, But Garcetti was totally supportive of these extremely strict measures. I mean, they closed down beaches early on. They required masks everywhere early on. And the fact that they had such a strict lockdown and it lasted longer than other places led to 50% of that city being unemployed. And that was true within just a few weeks just a few weeks of lockdown. Why? Because LA is obviously filled with entertainment and restaurants. So we're looking at half of the population's unemployed already. So what happens when somebody's unemployed? It leads to poverty, right? You have low-income communities that do not have jobs anymore. What does it lead to? More poverty. Okay, so just keep all that in mind. After the George Floyd incident... Mayor Garcetti says he wants to take away $250 million from the police, which, by the way, they don't really have. This is kind of like the magic money from our state that nobody has that they're somehow coming up with, like the same way that Governor Newsom's like, oh, we're going to pay everybody to stay at home. Thinking with what money? We have the biggest homelessness crisis across our state than we've ever had. It's in multiple cities across the state, and it's out of control. You didn't have the money to handle that situation. You didn't have the money to fix that problem before all this, but somehow you can pay somebody's $2,000 mortgage or $3,000 mortgage for a couple of months, and and we have 40 million people living in the state. Mm, I don't know. Those numbers don't really add up to me. So Mayor Garcetti is going to take away $250 million from the police force in L.A. County, in in the city of L.A. specifically, and give it to communities of color. Okay, now, of course, this was a press release. I'm sure you're not surprised by that. He didn't do this secretly because he has a passion for communities of color. Do you think he didn't know there were communities of color that needed assistance in L.A. before May? Do you think it's possible that this is just news to him? How could you be a mayor of a city like Los Angeles without understanding who exactly is at risk and who needs help in the community? So if he already knew it was a problem, which we know he had to, why didn't he offer to take away money from anything and give to communities of color before? How come he didn't offer that in February? Why didn't he offer that in 2018 or 19? The fact that you do a press conference about it to say, look at me, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to take away money from here and give it to here because I care. It's like what everybody notices about politicians, which is a lot of this is, it's for optics. It's, It's a photo op. The Democrats in Washington taking a knee with kente cloth, Nancy Pelosi, come on. 
That is a photo op. They had their names written in tape on the ground. Like it was already staged exactly where everybody would be when they kneeled and etc. When politicians do stuff for photo ops, everybody is very aware that what the, the words that come out of their mouth are empty. They're saying they're going to help this group or this group or this organization or this union, but them actually doing anything doesn't usually line up with that at all. And this is kind of like campaign promises, right? I remember being in elementary school and somebody running for like class president or something in sixth grade, you know, promising to have soda come out of all the drinking fountains if we only voted for him. And it's kind of funny now, but what's the difference between that and the stuff we hear now? Politicians promise things that they're not going to deliver, and they do it for photo ops. In other words, it's inauthentic. It is hollow. These are empty promises. In, in, in the age of social media, there's nothing different between what we see politicians do now. For example, Senator Pan, during legislation for removing vaccine exemptions, standing at the podium with six or seven doctors in white coats behind him. Every single element of that was staged. He wants people to get a view. White coats equal doctors. Doctors equal smart. Medicine. We can trust these people. If they're supportive of this legislation, then I should be too. It's not a coincidence that he did that. Everything is about the way that it looks, the way that it comes across. So virtue signaling is no different. It's all about taking certain actions because you're aware that they're being watched. And that's something that really bothers me about it. So there is another term that describes this, like I mentioned earlier. It's a great term. Performative allyship. Okay, so performative allyship in politics is called pandering. Right? You're familiar with that. Let me act like I care about your community your group, whatever, so that I can get your vote and I can have a good media moment. It's almost like a type of advertising. But I'll tell you one of the reasons why I really disagree with false or temporary or hollow activism or falsely motivated action. Like I said before, if you are getting involved in something, you need to be invested in that thing to really actually Take action steps and see a difference and follow through. What I'm thinking is going to happen with Mayor Garcetti is this. He made his pledge about $250 million. I've had other law enforcement officers tell me, you know what? Just like defunding the police, that money is going to come from somewhere. They're going to now increase fines. They're going to start arresting people for smaller things so that they can get court costs and different costs that funnel through state courthouses back to the police department. So they can say whatever they want. But the reality is that $250 million, what exactly is it going to do in the black community if that was not something you were intending on doing before it was a global phenomenon to care about black people? You understand what I'm saying? So in other words, $250 million, this is what we're going to do. Well, guess what's going to happen in six and seven months from now? All of a sudden, that program is going to fizzle out. It's going to fizzle out because there's not really somebody spearheading this program saying, I want to make a difference in communities. This is a passion project of mine. I care about it so much. I will put in the hard work, etc. What's going to happen is it's going to just fall by the wayside over time once people's eyes go in a different direction. 
It's only going to be active while people are watching. And of course, that's a shame because I'm sure there are a lot of good things that could be done within the community, but it has to come from a good place. It can't just come from a place when everybody's watching. So I want to give you some words on virtue signaling. This is from an article that was written June 3rd in Parade. What is virtue signaling? How to make sure your activism is about the cause. Okay, so this is right about a week after the George Floyd murder. And it says, the Black Lives Matter movement has been working hard since 2013 to achieve racial justice in the United States. And the movement gained steam after the murder of George Floyd. However, some seemingly well-intentioned people have only woken up to the movement against police brutality and the murder of unarmed people of color and their ignorance is showing. Virtue signaling is essentially the act of making it known that you, in theory, support a cause, even if you aren't actually doing anything to further it. Many who participated in Blackout Tuesday faced criticism for virtue signaling without doing any other work against racism. And it it shares one tweet that says, it's now Wednesday. So this is the day after Blackout Tuesday. And I'm really excited to hear what all the big companies came up with to dismantle white supremacy in their infrastructures on the day off reflection during Blackout Tuesday. As if in one day, all of a sudden, there was going to be some grand shift. And it says, if your work is only on social media in an effort to look better to others, you're guilty of virtue signaling. What is virtue signaling? Psychologists Jillian Jordan and David Rand explained in the New York Times that virtue signaling uses a separate psychological system than genuine outrage. Virtue signaling instead uses a strategic system that evaluates our social context and determines what level of outrage will look best to others. It's more of a performative action to broadcast to the world that they're a good person than any true effort to create change and correct injustices. It says, why does virtue signaling happen? According to Dr. Jordan and Dr. Rand, virtue signaling typically happens when someone does have at least a semblance of genuine outrage over an injustice, but is simultaneously concerned about their reputations. Of course, there are always others who don't actually care enough to spark change, but don't want to appear that way to others. Social media has created an endless epidemic of virtue signaling. Okay, so the next term, like I mentioned, performative allyship. It says performative allyship is deadly. Here's what to do instead. And the subtitle of this article is activism can't begin and end with a hashtag. Okay, this is in Forge. No, this is in, I guess, Forge hosted on medium.com. So what this author basically says in the days after that death, I scrolled through Instagram reading post after post from white friends and influencers professing their outrage and disbelief. The posts were flooded with comments from more, mostly white people, thanking them for their bravery and for speaking truth to power. But this woman, the author of this article, she says, as a black woman, instead of feeling inspired by this act of solidarity, I found myself feeling angry and afraid. Looking through my feed, I wanted to say to my white friends, you're here now, but where are you the other 364 days a year when anti-racism isn't trending? When racism isn't tucked safely behind the screen in your hand, but right there in front of your face. 
She says, I'm not overlooking the fact that public allyship can help spur positive change. Voices can be heard. But we must also not be lulled into believing that this kind of allyship is enough to dismantle conditions that have caused these issues. And we must not let this kind of performative allyship begin and end with a hashtag take center stage in the quest for equality. So she says, what is performative allyship? She says, to understand performative allyship, let's first look at what real allyship is. An ally is someone from a non-marginalized group who uses their privilege to advocate for a marginalized group. They transfer the benefits of their privilege to those who lack it. Performative allyship, on the other hand, is when someone from that same non-marginalized group professes support and solidarity with a marginalized group in a way that either isn't helpful or that actually harms that group. It usually involves the ally receiving some kind of reward on social media. Remember, the ally is the white person in this case. It's that virtual pat on the back for being a good person or on the right side. So you can see this is very similar to virtue signaling. It's basically the same thing with a different name. It's this idea that you're doing something for the virtual pats on the back, for the likes, for the loves, for the comments, for your followers to think and know, because it's important that they know that you're supportive of whatever the issue is. And this goes for all sorts of issues. It says the problem with performative allyship is not that in itself it damages anything, but it excuses. It excuses people from making the personal sacrifices necessary to actually get to the issues it's addressing. So if you hashtag something, you've done your part, right? Because you've publicly declared you stand against racism, so therefore you can check that off your list. But she says, wrong. Looking through the Instagram stories of white allies shouting for justice, my heart broke to see their posts immediately followed by photos of what they had for lunch or something unrelated. This kind of allyship is transient, a passing story, a repost for the gram. It's cheap and inauthentic. So it says, how do you spot performative allyship? On social media, here are your four clues. One, the post is usually simple. A few words, an image, a hashtag, something like that. Number two, it almost always expresses itself as outrage or disbelief at the, quote, injustice. But the outrage isn't really useful, exactly, is what she says. Three, it refuses to acknowledge any personal responsibility for the issues that created the tragedy. It looks at the villain outside of you, out there. A cop, crooked police officer, or a heartless person. It separates you, the good person, from them, the bad person. And number four, it says, perhaps most noticeable, it's usually met with praise, approval, admiration, or some kind of positive response for the person expressing it. This is the key. Key is by you posting it, there's going to be a positive reinforcement there for you, which is what the encouraging motivating factor really is. So she says it's critical to realize that if you fit into one of those four categories, that your allyship is performative and you're excusing yourself from engaging with the tough and messy conversations necessary to address the root causes of whatever the issue is, the conversations that will actually bring about change. You're easing your guilt with empty advocacy when what you really need to be doing is advocating with your actions. And then she goes on to list 
different things you can do, organizations you can support. So this name of this article is Performative Allyship is Deadly, Here's What to Do Instead by a girl named Holiday Phillips. And performative allyship and virtue signaling and slacktivism, these are all things we're seeing, again, not just with the race issue. We're seeing this very, very heavily in the COVID, the coronavirus and COVID situation right now because there's a huge debate going on right now about mask usage. Masks are being mandated now in many states and in the states they aren't mandated, the counties are doing it, so it really doesn't matter. Wherever you live, it's probably something that's gonna be coming up, especially if you're in a democratic state. And if you go into these city groups, you can see all sorts of conversation in there about these selfish, irresponsible idiots who don't wear masks. They're so selfish. The irony is you don't know how healthy somebody is, right? But apparently all you have to do is see them wearing a mask because if they wear a mask, then they're the good guys. It doesn't matter that they don't work. They are complying. And if you comply, you're doing something good. And if that symbol is there, then somebody will judge the character of the person behind the mask. I really have a problem with virtue signaling, as you can tell, which is why I did an entire episode on it. And I've posted about it multiple times. I just cannot deal with these people who are giving themselves the moral high ground. Meanwhile, though, meanwhile, so they've got the mask on, so they feel like they're morally superior, ethically superior. Meanwhile, some of these people are smoking or some of these people are eating major crap food and contributing to underlying conditions that could actually lead to them having a problem. And does it, is that just their issue? No, unfortunately, it's not just their issue. Because when people who have underlying conditions are taking part in risky or unhealthy behaviors over a several month span, and they become susceptible to disease, they are putting everybody else at risk also. So they want to talk about people not wearing a mask, putting everybody at risk. Being an unhealthy individual in society puts people at risk. You're more likely to catch illness. That could be a virus or bacteria. You're more likely to spread it to others. And in this case, we are all being kept on lockdown based on the numbers of hospitalizations, numbers of cases, numbers of ICU reports. So if you're one of those people that is basically not taking proactive steps to stay healthy during this time with or without a mask, you are making it more likely that you could be one of those numbers increasing that are causing everybody else to not be able to go back to work or causing everybody else to not be able to leave their house, especially if lockdown comes back around again. So it's not really just a personal choice. And then to sit there and put your mask on and be like, look at me, I'm healthy because I have a mask on. You know, it's laughable to people who are into health. And for those of you who may not know this about me, I think many of you do, I'm really big into holistic health and really the basis of holistic health is personal responsibility, personal responsibility for your own health. I don't expect anybody else to have to stay home on my account. If I was living a really unhealthy lifestyle, I'm not going to expect people to have to suffer and pay for it because of my choices. Of course, I don't do that. And I don't do that because I want to live a healthy lifestyle and I want to minimize any chance of me having to need some kind of medical intervention. I don't want to have to go to the ER for a sickness. I don't want to have to be on lots of medications. I don't want to have to be hospitalized when a normally mild virus goes around. So I take all these extra steps to be healthier, but in doing so, I'm actually 
protecting my neighbors and the rest of the people in my city and town and all the places that I visit, again, without a mask, because I'm not getting sick. I haven't been sick in four months. And the last time I was sick, I actually think might have been COVID. I haven't been tested yet because tests are so unreliable. And that's another topic altogether. But when you live a healthy lifestyle, you're not a risk to people. So to use a mask and act like that mask is a sign of health, it's a sign of caring for your neighbors, it's a sign of responsibility, is a perfect, especially, oh my God, especially when they don't work. They don't even stop the transmission. So because they don't work, that means you're literally wearing them just to show off to people that you're wearing one, not because it actually does anything. So it's a perfect example of virtue signaling. And I just I have an issue with people who don't do anything for an authentic reason. Same thing with some of these belief systems. It's like, if you're just going to go along with it because everybody else believes it, then that's not the same thing as critical thinking. I want people to really make up their own minds. If you do all that research and you come to that same conclusion, cool, that's fine. I'm totally fine with people having a variety of opinions on all sorts of things. But if you haven't done that research and you're having, you're one of those loud voices in these city groups, it's really, you know, shaming everybody else who's not doing something. That's not okay with me. But it's kind of funny to see virtue signaling transfer from one completely different issue. We're talking about coronavirus to race relations in the country right now and the Black Lives Matter movement. It's really interesting that virtue signaling just continued right on into the next topic. Different examples of what constitutes virtue signaling, but it's the same thing. And hopefully people are getting really aware of what it looks like and are calling it out when you see it. I know I do. (laughs) Isn't that so surprising? What? No. But anyway, if I come up with any cool new information on this, you know, whether it's scientific background behind this or other articles written from years prior that were already talking about this, I'll bring them to the table. But hopefully that gives you a little bit of discussion on virtue signaling and performative allyship and why they are potentially dangerous, both of them. Because again, it's only one thing on the surface, not backed up by genuine action. Anyway, that's all for me today on what they aren't telling you. And what they aren't telling you in this situation is that That mask you're wearing is virtue signaling. And that black square you did, that's virtue signaling too. But you didn't hear it from me. Stay tuned. We have a lot of exciting things coming up. Lots of great interviews. And I hope you are enjoying what I'm bringing to you so far on this first season, debut season, of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. Take care, everyone.